The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Omicron, Omacron, which is the little-known Irish younger brother of the French president. Thought you'd like that. Four. An acronym of which is moronic. <laughs> moronic. Three. Should we be panicking? No, we should never have been panicking. We should have tried to take a measured and sensible approach to this whole problem. I think I may have been a tad over-optimistic about the new rational turn that our government had taken. Welcome once again to Planet Normal, the Telegraph podcast with Alison Pearson. Hello. And me, Liam Halligan. New self-isolation rules designed to tackle this latest Covid variant have been enshrined in law until March. An early Christmas present, dear listeners, as we ease into Advent. Regulations forcing us to self-isolate for 10 days if we come into contact with someone with the Omicron variant, even if you're fully vaccinated, were passed by the House of Commons on Tuesday. Fail to hide yourself away for a week and a half and you could be fined up to £10,000. Restricting freedoms is a path, quotes towards hell, warned Tory backbenchers, 33 of whom rebelled, including former ministers from across the party. One-time Work and Pension Secretary Esther McVeigh, former Chief Whip Mark Harper and former Business Secretary Greg Clark. Self-isolation rules could lead to a new pandemic, the rebels warned, with healthy employees and entrepreneurs being told via their mobile phones they should stay home, just as the economy is struggling to recover. Ministers have vowed to review these new rules in three weeks' time. But when it comes to withdrawing previously enshrined controls co-pilots, the government has a poor track record. On the contrary, regulations once introduced tend to remain in place for much longer than originally envisaged. We remain a long way from renewed economy-wide lockdown, Alison. Yes, schoolchildren are being forced to mark up. The kids, after all, are an easy target. And stroppy teaching unions could yet cause renewed academic chaos, as their work-shy university counterparts are now also threatening to do. But ministers dare not clamp down on pub, restaurants and the broader hospitality trade, not while this new Covid variant looks relatively benign, and virus-related hospitalisations and death remain at a fraction of their former peak. Dr Jenny Harries, Chief Executive of the UK Health Security Agency, says we should avoid socialising in the run-up to Christmas. Sod that, cried much of the nation, as ministers furiously backpedalled. Yet after so many broken promises, not least last Christmas, there's more than a lingering suspicion lockdown could yet return. And that, dear co-pilot, amounts to some serious cloud cover over our national mood just as we're meant to be getting into the Christmas spirit, indulging in gift-buying, socialising and making merry. It's a release of celebration and contact our nation desperately needs, not only to make up for the lost time of lockdown, but to give our stalling economy a boost. You know, Halligan, I was in quite a good mood last week. I think I may have been a tad over-optimistic about the new rational turn that our government had taken. You just (laughs) hot-footed it from Leicester, where you'd been lunching. I know, with all those lovely retired people all out having a fantastic time, pressing goldfish bowl-sized gin and tonics on me. It was the East Midlands branch of the Alison Pearson fan club. (laughs) I'm very big in Leicester, Halligan. (laughs) So before we go into this absolute pile-up, a couple of things. So what are we thinking? Omicron, 
O'Macron, which is the little-known Irish younger brother of the French president. Thought you'd like that. <laughs> or, as my cl- resident classical scholar claimed, it was O-Micron. An acronym of which is moronic. <laughs> moronic. <laughs> Don't know. Always look forward to Christmas being heralded by either the star of Bethlehem or Mariah Carey. But every Christmas now, it's going to be a new variant that the government seems to have been keeping in the larder, Liam, since July. But now it's being brought out to drive everybody into the booster pen. (laughs) I mean, I'm sounding jolly, but I'm really I am raging, really. I mean, what what can you say? Everyone getting out and about, lots of kind of, as you said, Christmas cheer, people who've been very, very scared, feeling a lot more confident, and bang. We get this new variant, which has been identified by very, very clever South African scientists. It's not it's originated in South Africa. It's just that the scientists in South Africa managed to isolate it in the lab. Their reward for that brilliant piece of research is to get 10 countries in Southern Africa basically put on the red list their tourist industries trash for the Christmas period. Thanks very much for that. They won't be doing that again in a hurry, Halligan, will they? And back here, mask mandates for shops, public transport, school communal areas. You can just imagine the ratchet effect with that. We've already got the teaching unions revving up for another period of closing schools early before Christmas. I thought that Boris, I don't know what you thought, Liam, I thought Boris have been amazingly naive saying at the second press briefing this week oh we don't want people to cancel nativity plays and events so you think what on earth do you think causing this fear to rise up what on earth does he think it it was going to be the, the result of that so I'm absolutely furious with this. I think they've been hopeless. The MPs even more hopeless than usual. And what's particularly funny, co-pilot, you'll enjoy this, is as we were about to record, we have the World Health Organization saying that the Omicron mutation is a super mild variant. There's no evidence to suggest that the efficacy of the vaccines has been reduced by the new strain. And that is actually supported also by the Israeli health minister, who said that the early research suggests that two to three doses of a COVID vaccine would be effective against the new variant. So we've been plunged into these new round of restrictions on the basis of what? On the basis of next to nothing. Even sleepy Joe Biden seems to be alert to this one, (laughs) saying that the Omnicron variant is actually rather benign. That's what all the evidence shows so far. So far, yeah. And it's not good enough to threaten renewed lockdown and even impose restrictions on the basis of just in case. If we did that, then we'd never leave our homes. We'd still be living in caves, hunting (laughs) mammoth with the occasional spear. Well, I would be. You wouldn't be. You'd be (laughs) lurking in the cave looking for your slippers. Um, Look, the trouble I have with all of this is that you've got a political and media class and you can see them on Twitter and you can see them on other social media saying, oh, but masks, it's a costless measure. Masks are not costless. It's costless if you work in the public sector or you're a ritzy ditzy journalist on a huge salary that's got a big house in West London and you can work from from home. Masks are massively dampening the hospitality industry at the most important moment in the hospitality industry's year after 18 months of businesses folding and jobs being lost. 
that new restrictions we put on the travel industry are having a terrible, catastrophic effect on one of the large sectors of our economy. I don't think it's responsible to say, oh, just in case, maybe we should do this, that and the other. And we're not near full lockdown yet, as I said in my introduction, Alison. But what we are seeing now, as Planet Normal has warned for many, many, many months and others, are the costs of lockdown. The National Audit Office, a very serious organisation, the organisation that's there to scrutinise in a politically neutral but very analytical way government spending and government policy the nao estimates in a new report this week between 240,000 and 740,000 missing referrals to the nhs as a result of people struggling to get appointments with their gps you hear that bma if you want to have a go at alison pearson you hear that <laughs> did you read that nao report bma alison pearson and her stories yep. and her anecdotes anecdotes yeah there you've got it from the nao from the horse's mouth etched in stone and you now have cancer charities absolutely up in arms the excellent laura donnelly our health editor has been all over this in the last 24 hours. Cancer charities are talking about the biggest cancer catastrophe ever, end quotes, to hit the NHS as up to 740,000 potential cases are missed. Think of the loss of life there. And in that case, the loss of life heinously will include young mums with breast cancer that's gone too far, with young children who will lose their mum, people in the prime of their lives, men and women, missing those cancer referrals because of lockdown. Masks are not costless. Lockdown is not costless. And yet, from what we've seen, ministerial responses to a variant that all the evidence shows is benign, it's really worrying. No, I couldn't put it better, Liam. I I really couldn't. And of course, what's now happening is Sajid Javid, the health secretary, proudly offering everyone over 18 a booster. But as if you just said, oh, they're going to recruit all that. They're going to pay the GPs to start jabbing 14 million people, you know, by the new year. And then you think, excuse me, we need the GPs to be in their surgeries, seeing these millions of people who haven't been able to get an appointment. And as you said, there's the same GPs who didn't refer 740,000 people for cancer scans. And of the many things I'm feeling at the moment, Liam, is why on earth would we be wanting to give boosters to many perfectly healthy younger people when surely the priority of the health service has got to be looking out for all these poor people who are unwell? So we're actually literally giving vaccines to the healthy and neglecting this vast number of people who are in desperate need of medical care. Also, you know, as you say, this whole thing with the media and political class, and it's like a drug to them. As we've learned over the months, Liam, the likelihood is that a new mutation, a new, a new variant will be more transmissible, but will be less lethal. And we had Fergus Walsh, the BBC's medical editor. I mean, he's normally one of the saner ones. And there he was on the news, 10 o'clock news on Monday. Omicron could be the worst variant yet on the basis of no evidence, absolutely no evidence. He made that outrageous claim. I mean, that is a big thing to say on live national television on the state broadcaster. That is idle speculation. What evidence has he got to say it could be? 
That's scaremongering. Absolutely. And he could have said, which is what the German epidemiologist, Professor Karl Lauterbach, who is likely to be the new German health minister. And Karl Lauterbach said Omicron could be the best Christmas gift we could have. Because if indeed it is relatively mild and very, very transmissible, that means it's as good as a vaccine, Liam. It's better than a vaccine. Can I just say I like the sound of Karl Lauterbach? (laughs) He might replace Jürgen as your favourite German. Jürgen, who was cheated out of the Bake Off title, in your view. Grossly, grossly cheated, yes. <laughs> I think Professor Lauterbach and I could be new best You've friends. moved on from Emmanuel Macron then. Yeah, well, you know, he's he's been dumped long ago. You're probably too young for him. <laughs> I, know, I think we've made that joke before. Still a good one, though. But I think Planet Normal Hero of the Week has got to be the Conservative MP, the excellent and fruity, rumpolesque Sir Desmond Swain. And Sir Desmond <laughs> told Julia Hartley Brewer on Talk Radio, I've decided I'm exempt from wearing a mask due to my genetic predisposition to liberty. And he says... Every time I ask ministers for the evidence, I'm told it's about sending a message. Well, I don't like the message. And I think, no, I bloody well don't like the message either. So, Liam, what seems to have happened this week? Big meeting on Monday of SAGE, that's the Scientific Advisory Group for Emergencies, where they were chewing over the fact that the impact of the Omicron, Omicron, um, we're not going to say it, are we? The Omicron variant on the UK, highly uncertain, but may require a very stringent response. Then they're all out of the traps, as you said, Dr. Jenny Harris, having the absolute nerve on the Today programme to say, you know, be careful not socialising when we don't particularly need to. You think it's Christmas. We are going to be socialising. And before I stop chuntering, can I just say, Sajid (laughs) Javid, of whom we had high hopes, didn't we, co-pilot? Sajid Javid said... If we want the best chance of Christmas with our loved ones, we need to get a booster jab. Who is he to say whether we get a chance of Christmas with our loved ones? You know, many of us have all been double jabbed. We were told, absolutely line up, do as you're told. We've all done it. And now, as we've said before, constantly moving the goalposts. The health secretary doesn't get to make these authoritarian threats to the British people about whether they can spend Christmas with their loved ones. I'm 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 incandescent can you see me can you see me glowing i I can see the steam coming out into your microphone down the wires the fiber optic cables it's coming out of my microphone for a minute there you reminded me of mrs slocum in are you being served and i am unanimous in that too bloody true (laughs) the brilliant molly sugden yes yes. (laughs) what a brilliant series that was oh wendy richards god captain peacock arthur english as the caretaker look This is my concern, Alison. We are a law-abiding nation. You and I obey the law. We're sticklers for process. We think very deeply about what we say on public platforms like this. So what I'm about to say is not an encouragement to anybody. It's an observation. And my observation is that while we are a law-abiding country, my concern is that more and more people are telling me They are losing faith in the scientists. They're losing faith in the message. And it strikes me that the consent on which our system is built and rests is in danger of ebbing away. I don't know where these opinion polls are coming from. No. A lot of the questions, if you look at the questions, are very leading. 
And when I get on the train in the morning from a very respectable <laughs> market town uh, in North Essex, and then I get on the tube, about half the people on both the train and the tube aren't wearing masks, even though the rules say they should be wearing masks. And maybe some of them are exempt. But can I ask you, was it any different this morning? No, that's my point. Right. That's my point. It's Wednesday now. The rules were introduced yesterday, Tuesday. And Tuesday and Wednesday, it's been all over the news. Tuesday, I thought, well, it is the first day. Not everybody's a news junkie like me. But this morning, so that's my concern because it's it may be a small thing. The scientific evidence on masks is extremely split. I mean, at the beginning of this whole episode, the government was telling us, Jenny Harries was telling us, oh, don't bother wearing a mask. The evidence shows that they don't do any good. And they'm actually, if you've got a bag of paper bag of germs around your mouth it might not actually do you any any good but now straight away kids are in masks that is not costless have children in masks when they're trying to be at school learning when they need to see their each other's faces they need to see teachers face it's scary for children and at best it's certainly not good for their education whatever age the kids are at so i do have concerns that if the government pushes and pushes and pushes while there is no evidence that Omicron is anything other than relatively benign, then there will be a problem. Now, now, if there is significant scientific evidence the other way, that this is a very significant variant and the existing vaccines don't respond to it, then of course the vast, vast, vast majority of the British public, cheered on by you and me, no doubt, will take any precautions that the government suggests we should be taking in light of that evidence. But the government now is using guesswork and at a time when the public is sick and tired of this stuff at the end of their tether in the run-up to another Christmas, I think they're taking risks. I think it's riskier to push the public when there is evidence than it is to leave well alone. I will go along with anything I consider to be safer for other people. I absolutely will. I, you know, I've, I got jabbed. I didn't feel particularly vulnerable to COVID. I think I've had COVID, but I did that because I wanted to play my part and fulfill the social contract. But there does come a point for me when the state demeans us by demanding actions which simply don't make any sense. Now, we know that 92.8% of the adult population of the UK now have antibodies or they have a memory in their T-cells of antibodies. COVID has the same infection fatality rate as flu. Hospital admissions, as George keeps telling us, are on a downward trajectory. George is saying this week it looks like the booster programme is helping to limit serious illness in, in the over 60s. We are, as Professor Carl Hennigan said this week, in a really good position to withstand any variants. Yet we're acting as if it's still alarm, ship's alarm going off. Small theory, Halligan, what do you think about this? These restrictions are annoying, but they're still relatively modest. Do you think this was the government throwing a bone to all the unions and the Labour Party that were going to come after them. That's my impression, that they felt they had to do something, but they obviously haven't gone anywhere near, as you said, they haven't touched hospitality, they haven't brought back social distancing. What do you think? Do you think this was a strategic move to try and buy off their critics that they weren't doing enough? Forgive me for being cynical, but I think all politics... All public policy is a trade-off between, you know, strategy and evidence. Of course, the fact that the broadcast media 
only ever asks, why aren't you locking down now harder, firmer, yeah. rather than actually is there any evidence for this? I think the Labour Party always goes into holier-than-thou mode. Why aren't Completely. you masking up? Deeply irresponsible, if you ask me. And we've got two quite big political events this week which will have played a part in the Prime Minister's thinking, I think. We've got the Bexley and Sidcup by-election. We're recording on Wednesday, but voting is happening on Thursday, the day this podcast is released, so we shouldn't comment too much on that for legal reasons. But we've also just had the Labour reshuffle, which I thought was pretty interesting. You and I, Alison, were quick on to the kind of remaking of the Labour front bench that Keir Starmer was keen to bring about. Shadow Chancellor Rachel Reeves has come to the fore during Labour conference. We've been discussing her. He's brought back some, you know, pretty impressive people who have been lurking on the back benches for a while, who opted out during the Corbyn era. Yes. People like Yvette Cooper. She is a good performer at the dispatch box. She's a very bright woman. I know you and I won't always agree with her policy prescriptions, but she's a plausible Home Secretary in the waiting. And that will be good political theatre and she will give pretty... Pretty Patel a run for her money. She will. We've got now the makings, I think, of a Labour front bench that looks as if the Labour Party is once again interested not just in having warfare among itself and conducting student politics type discussions, but is now actually interested in power. And for that, I think we should congratulate Keir Starmer because all you and I have ever wanted, we've both of us voted for all the major parties over the years. What we want is a fair fight, and we both think that the Tory party needs a good opposition to stop hubris and to keep the government on its toes. Although I have to say, Liam, that I do think Yvette Cooper's going to give Pretty Patel a really kind of good fight. But there was a survey out this week which said that the dominant issue now for most British voters is immigration. And there was a picture of Yvette Cooper holding a placard saying refugees welcome. I think Labour is going to have to get its positioning on immigration. Well, it's going to, you know, it's going to have to get more in line with the people who might vote for it personally. But I think the one thing you've omitted in this marvelous Marvellous reshuffle Halligan is Angie, the charming deputy (laughs) Labour leader who thinks people like me are Tory scum. It seems to me the Rainer factor is quite a big problem for Starmer. I'm not even sure if they're on speaking terms, are they? Well, clearly... The Labour high-ups have calculated that Angela Rayner is useful for keeping the left of the party, if not at bay, then certainly quieter than they otherwise would be. She performs the kind of role that John Prescott performed for Tony Blair. But I would say, unlike John Prescott, who was actually a pretty thoughtful yes, bloke, yes, he was. And a very, very skilled politician, he's also a pretty good left hook, as we <laughs> yeah, saw yeah, in a previous general election. But I don't think Angela Rayner is any of those things, unfortunately. I grow inwardly when a proudly working class woman started using the kind of political language that she did because I think she demeans a lot of the working class in this country who are often extremely bright articulate people so I think Starmer has confected that row with Rayner, I think Rayner wants to have a row with Starmer to keep her left wing fans happy but all the time, incrementally, I would say that the Labour Party is inching into a position where it can challenge the Tories. You know, I find myself increasingly thinking that Yvette Cooper's husband, Ed Balls, 
would have at this stage would have made an absolutely brilliant Labour leader. He's got so much of the kind of charm and easy manner with people that Starmer lacks. I know we're not supposed to directly comment, Liam, on the old Bexley and Sidcup by-election, which is will be today when people are listening to the podcast. But it is going to be interesting because James Brokenshaw had a, from 2019, the late James Brokenshaw, much, much, much loved and admired Conservative MP. He had a majority of 19,000. And it will be interesting, I think, very interesting later today and tomorrow to see if the challengers, Richard Tice, a former Planet Normal guest for the Reform Party is there. Be interesting to see whether he can knock a percentage off that. And I think then we can see a new political landscape shaping up because the Omicron has rather conveniently <laughs> Omicron. I think Omicron, don't you think? The, I think the French president's Irish brother is what we're going to go for. I think the Omicron has very conveniently silenced some really difficult material for the Tories in terms of the boats and the sleaze, hasn't it? He certainly has, Alison. And while we're talking about anagrams of Omicron, let me just point out <laughs> that Omicron B rearranged spells no crimbo. <laughs> Hello, I'm Brian Moore, the former England hooker. International rugby is back and so is my podcast, Brian Moore's Full Contact. Every Monday, we get the biggest and best names from the world of rugby to dive into every rook, more and TMO decision. Get the inside track ahead of the next six nations and hear the likes of England coach Eddie Jones and the breakthrough star Freddie Stewart. Search for Brian Moore's Full Contact wherever you're listening to this. Well, co-pilot, as there is a lot of panic about the new COVID variant, I thought this would be a fantastic week to bring back one of Planet Normal's most popular and learned guests. Jeanette Tregupta is a professor of theoretical epidemiology at the University of Oxford. She's done outstanding research on various infectious diseases, including malaria, HIV, influenza and now COVID-19. But far more importantly than all that, Jeanette Tregupta is the person who coined the phrase orthogonal to the orthodoxy, which the Planet Normal listeners is on tablets of stone. Tablets of stone and sweatshirts and, you know, absolutely. <laughs> but as we know, Liam, Sinetra has been an outspoken critic of the lockdown approach to the pandemic, for which she has been reviled by people who, I have to say, know considerably less than she does about viruses. She was described as unethical and dangerous by the World Health Organization, which knows a few things about being unethical. Sinetra was one of the authors of the Great Barrington Declaration, which we've talked about a lot, Copilot, which is a focused response to the pandemic based on protecting the most vulnerable and leaving younger, healthier people to get on with their lives. Along with Professors Jay Bhattacharya and Paul Dolan and others, Jeanette Tregupta founded Collateral Global to research the effectiveness and the impacts of the mandated non-pharmaceutical interventions during lockdown, a subject that's very close to our heart. I have to say personally that Jeanette has been an amazing support to this podcast, not only teaching you what orthogonal to the orthodoxy means, but casting a kindly eye over the material that we talk about every week. So in our second interview for Planet Normal, I began by asking Professor Shanetra Gupta, should we be panicking about this Omicron variant? Should we be panicking? No, we should never have been panicking. We should have tried to take a measured and sensible approach 
to this whole problem. So what does this new variant actually signify? We have a variant which has a number of mutations which uh, indicate uh, strongly that they may be far more capable of evading pre-existing immune responses in the human population than other variants. This is not a cause for concern for two reasons. And, and in order to understand that, we have to distinguish between immunity that blocks infection and immunity that prevents disease. And, you know, when this new virus came in, what we had was a population who had never encountered this particular virus. They had, many of us did have some immunity to this virus. And uh, although we were laughed at for saying so, there are now several studies that attest to that idea that the, the fact that some of us were already able to at least resist disease and even infection by this virus because of our previous exposure to related coronaviruses. Where we're at now, of course, is, is a point where most of the population is already immune in the sense of having had the virus either nat through natural infection or been vaccinated. So we have, a, or most of us, sadly, not everybody, has some experience of this virus. So the, you know, the fact that a new variant arises should not trouble us any more than when a new variant flu arises. Yes, doctors in South Africa are saying that people with this particular variant are so far experiencing only mild illness. Could it in fact be a positive that this variant is more transmissible and less likely to kill people? First of all, this, this idea that it's more transmissible is based on a, a very poor understanding of epidemiology. A virus that has several mutations that cause it to evade immunity is not necessarily more transmissible. This is evident from the fact that, you know, season to season with influenza, you can see, you do see new variants arising which are have mutations that allow them to evade immunity. And they are not necessarily more transmissible. A virus that... Um, can gain an advantage or outcompete existing variants in two ways. First of all, by being more transmissible, and it only has to be a little bit more transmissible to win that race, or it can achieve the same effect by evading immunity. So is it the case at the moment that Omicron is, is in a race with the Delta variant? Is that... that was always the case. That was also the case between the Delta and the Beta variant. And what was very astonishing is that many scientists seem to have forgotten that that's how Darwinian evolution operates, is by a race between variants. And to win that race, you don't have to be significantly more transmissible and if you have succeeded in evading immunity, you can actually be less transmissible and you can still win that race. So all we have now is a virus which has mutated and so potentially is better at reinfecting people. But unless you are vulnerable and unvaccinated, this should not present any 
problems to you. Some people have claimed that the pandemic is actually over and the virus is now endemic. Do you agree with that, Professor Gupta? And can you explain to Planet Normal listeners what endemic means for everyone going forward? Yes, I do agree with that. And I have said so. I I feel that the the journey to endemicity, which I'll explain in a minute, obviously started a long time ago. and, And I believe a very major part of that journey was accomplished by, uh, by by summer last year in this country. For you know, this is an opinion I've held for which I've obviously received a lot of flack, but I continue to hold that opinion. So to start with, there were really two competing hypotheses, if you like, uh, circulating last year. One is that we managed to s- stop the spread with these lockdowns and other interventions, and the other was that actually. We don't know that. Um, And that was our camp. We were saying, actually, the only thing we know that really stops the spread uh, or controls the spread and reduces infection is herd immunity. That is to say the buildup of immunity against infection in the population. So when the virus first comes in, it goes to an epidemic phase where you get this massive increase in infections and, of course, uh, clinical cases and then deaths. And that's, of course, what we experienced last year. Then it settles down and eventually to a point like other coronaviruses where you get these sort of spikes in the winter. Nothing much happens otherwise. And even during these spikes in the winter, you know, some people get colds, other people get might get really quite sick. And very sadly, some people who are vulnerable will die. That's the state of endemicity that we want to steer this virus towards. You know, the only other possible stable state is where it doesn't exist at all. The zero COVID possibility, which we know was never realistic. So given that that wasn't realistic, the, the most humane and compassionate goal would be to reach the same situation as we have with the other coronaviruses, where a high level of herd immunity, as in people in the population being refractory to infection, keeps risks low for those who are vulnerable. Can I just ask you, we know that certain countries like Australia and New Zealand have striven for zero COVID and have had these very severe long lockdowns. Do these highly hygienic countries have more to fear now from new strains than those countries such as Sweden and increasingly, it seems, England, who've taken a more pragmatic approach? Oh, absolutely. Oh, you're, that, that's a very good way of putting it in that the risk of this new variant is not so much related to the intrinsic properties of this new variant in terms of how many people, how virulent it is, but the landscape of immunity that it encounters and the landscape of immunity in the countries have, which have been less or more prudent, whichever way you look at it, that where it's circulated, is very much more favourable to an outcome where, you know, nobody should be more at risk from this variant than with any other variant because they have already had either a natural infection or the vaccine. Whereas there are parts of the world where 
people have not been naturally exposed and not yet vaccinated, and and they really, uh, you know, it's more problematic for them. One thing that really puzzles me is this thing with natural immunity that arises from having had COVID that must by now be very widespread in the population. We've seen absolutely tearing through secondary school children, for example, and yet we have politicians and scientists like Professor Witte, Sir Patrick Vallance, making no mention of it. I mean, why do you think they are avoiding this crucial factionetra? And is natural immunity superior to the immunity you get from a vaccine? Um, natural immunity is typically superior to that which you get from a vaccine. And in the case of these vaccines, which focus very much on a particular protein, obviously the very important the the spike protein um, natural immunity will be superior that's not to say that natural infection is superior among those who are vulnerable to death from infection but it is superior or at least there is no reason to take the vaccine in those who are not vulnerable to death from natural infection you know there, there are many people who are very sensibly saying oh look i think we're at endemic equilibrium But what they are still insisting is that there was no big epidemic before we went into lockdown in spring 2020, which unfortunately doesn't add up. So what we have to do is is just step back and say, look, natural immunity is our friend. I think at the moment what we're seeing, the patterns of infection we are seeing globally, everywhere, attest to the power of natural immunity in controlling the risk, controlling infection and providing us with a route out of this situation. Some cynics have said you don't make any money out of natural infection. You make a lot of money out of vaccines. Isn't that a factor here? That that seems to me to be pretty glaring, really. I think, you know, the vaccines I've very much welcomed the vaccines, because when you are in an epidemic situation, you do need to protect the vulnerable. So what are the options there? And one option is to very rapidly develop a vaccine, even if it is a bit risky, but only to be applied and administered to those who are vulnerable. And then let everyone under 50 live their lives without risk of the lockdown and without risk of facing this interminable kind of cycle of vaccination and fear and and worry about variants. So there are several myths that are circulating. And one is that new variants drive an increase in infection. We know now that's not true. The reason that infections increase is because there is a decay in infection blocking immunity which is characteristic of many of these pathogens, and the seasonality in transmissibility favours their growth. And it's very simple to explain the dynamics of COVID-19 in those terms. On the Andrew Marr show on the 17th of July, Professor Neil Ferguson said it was, quote, almost inevitable that the final phase of unlocking, the so-called Freedom Day, would bring on 100,000 daily COVID cases with about 1,000 daily hospitalisations, despite the fact that roughly half the UK was fully vaccinated at that point. The real question, Professor Ferguson added, 
is do do we get to double that or even higher? And that's where the crystal ball starts to fail. I mean, we could get to 2,000 hospitalizations a day, 200,000 cases a day, but it's much less certain. Professor Gupta, in the light of subsequent events, what do you think of Neil Ferguson's crystal ball? The way I would think about this is that there were a set of testable hypotheses made by Neil and other people, and those hypotheses were predicated on the assumption that lockdowns and other non-pharmaceutical interventions played a very important part in regulating infections and that natural immunity uh, played a, a lesser role. And then on the other side were our hypotheses, which were that natural immunity played a very important role and the, the role of lockdowns and NPIs uh, was dubious. And there were two valid hypotheses, self-consistent, and that's all they did. They produced a set of hypotheses that were self-consistent. And, you know, if you assume masks work, well, you know, the way that the infections have declined, maybe that's because masks work. A testable hypothesis. These hypotheses were tested. And now we know which one is more likely to be true. That's, I think, the way to look at this rather than saying, oh, look, ha ha, how wrong they were or ha ha, how wrong you were. It's just these are two sets of testable hypotheses. We now have the data. Go figure. What you're saying to me, Shinetra, is that his mathematical modelling was based on the idea that these so-called NPIs, non-pharmaceutical interventions like masks and social distancing, played a much greater part in keeping the infections down than they actually now are proven to have done. Is, is, that, is that a good layperson's understanding of that? That is very perfectly put. Well, you've been training me well, Professor Gupta, haven't you? <laughs> Anyway, I, you know, I, I think you're being, you're being very diplomatic. I think that those kind of no, predictions. No, I think that's no. He's, he's scared. He's, point. I mean, come on, he's scared. People are really scared. You know, they're really scared, and those were very, very did, wildly just, out, wildly out. Those predictions, weren't they? Completely. What I'm trying to say is that the generally, I'm trying to step back from all this, having been at the, you know, butt end of a lot of horrible ad hominem criticism and all of that. I mean, criticism were just mudslinging. And it's very unpleasant. And it's really not how we as a society should function, you know, obviously not as a scientific community, but in any respect, it's it's just really corrosive. Why not just be sensible? It's not about being generous. It's just saying, okay, you think that, and I think this, let's wait and see which is more likely to be the case. Let's and then come back to the table and say, oh, look, well, it looks like these weren't so effective and this was, and, and then move forwards. And if we don't do that, we are just doomed. But, but as you've said, you know, the Great Barrington De- Declaration, which was came out in October 2020 with the co-author of that, with the great epidemiologist Martin Kuldorf and Jay Bhattacharya, all uh, experts in infectious disease. And you recommended, let's just remind Planet Normalists, as you recommended, focused protection of those who are most at risk from COVID while seeking to minimise the societal harm of the COVID-19 lockdown. What I'm putting to you really 
is that these other vastly erroneous predictions, it's not just that you can say, oh, fair play, they got it wrong, because actually we have seen catastrophic increases in undiagnosed cancers, soaring mental health problems, child abuse, child development delays, and NHS waiting list predicted to go over 10 million people. I mean, do you feel vindicated today or, or, or do you feel simply sad that what you said in the Great Barrington Declaration has come to pass? I feel sad, of course. Um, there's no point feeling vindicated. And as you know, we've set up this charity, Collateral Global, to um, try and document these harms about which, astonishingly, people were um, somewhat dubious about this. I mean, I've had emails from very intelligent people saying, why, why would lockdowns be, you know, do they cause any harm? What's the evidence? And I would say of all the unknowns that we faced at the start of all this, the one thing we could be certain of is that lockdowns would kill people. And that is the one thing we ignored. Instead, we adopted something, as in, you know, these NPIs and lockdowns, about which we had no certainty. The other thing is that we the uncertainty regarding the virus was overplayed, as it is being overplayed now with this new variant. So we're overplaying the uncertainty surrounding the biology of the virus. We are underplaying the uncertainty about the effects of lockdowns, uh, which, in fact, now we do have some certainty that they don't work. And we are totally not acknowledging and never have that the absolute certainty that these NPIs and lockdowns cause enormous harm to the underprivileged and to children. And if there's one, one thing that I think we should, one message, which is please, please, let's save the children. Let's please protect the children. And then as a sort of outer shell for me, maybe not for everyone, there is the sort of civil liberties question. And um, I know that I've been accused of being uh, bought by libertarians, but really, actually, the, the civil liberties question for me is more of an outer shell in that, you know, for me, I would happily mandate measles vaccines. But I, I'm very concerned about children being jabbed with the COVID vaccine. Why would you happily mandate measles and, and not, not the COVID vaccine? Uh, because measles vaccines do actually prevent infection, this actually reduces the risk of infection for everybody. So if you adhere to the social contract, as I do, then you can very easily within that accommodate a mandate that people should get this vaccine. Children should have this vaccine at age one to make sure that they are protected and that their fellow, well, everyone else in the community is protected. This is reasonable. That's with measles. That's reasonable. That's yes. measles. This is not true of the coronavirus vaccine. And we must keep that in mind. Yes. You know, I think listeners may be fascinated to know that you are actually the queen of flu, aren't you? A world expert on the evolution of influenza antigens, that substances that provoke an immune response. Now, you've said influenza may have lots of hats, but it only has four shirts. And then to extend the analogy... Coronaviruses have a more limited wardrobe. Should actually, does, does this mean it should, in theory, be easier to develop a pan-coronavirus vaccine than it was to find one for flu? Well, we are—we've just patented, in fact, a, a coronavirus. I mean, sorry, an influenza vaccine, 
which is based on it having a limited number of shirts. Coronaviruses also uh, undoubtedly have a very limited amount number of shirts in their wardrobe. And and so, yes, I think it would be perfectly possible to develop a pan-coronavirus vaccine. You know, that's what we're trying to do for flu. You and I have been in touch quite often during the past 14 months. You have been very patient trying to relieve me of my journalist cluelessness about your fantastic subject. Do you see any sign of the media having become any better at understanding viruses or COVID in, in particular? Sadly, no. <laughs> but you have. <laughs> well, co- co-pilot Halligan and I have been, uh, have been have had the invaluable assistance of some marvellous scientists, you, you, you predominant among them. You said the vaccines were never a route to eliminating COVID entirely. Repeated infection is the only route to herd immunity. Are, are you saying that's where we are now? Basically, that the virus is going to be mopping up in, in this country. Do you think that's what's happening? I think we just, yes, absolutely. I mean, what we needed always to do is protect the vulnerable. We've Obviously, the, the vaccines have helped, but we still have some people who are vulnerable who haven't had the vaccine or natural infection. And even if they have, some of them will be still not able to sufficiently, you know, respond to the virus that would save them from death. So we really just need to focus on those people and make sure that we do everything we can to stop them from suffering. Despite Omicron, would your message today to Planet Normal listeners and their families, would it it be a broadly positive message now about Christmas and living their lives? Yes, please. And please, Christmas plays. That's what life's all about. That was a fabulous interview, Alison, with a real Planet Normal legend. Her second visit to Planet Normal. And Telegraph subscribers can listen to the full version of your interview with Dr. Shanetra Gupta on our website. You can click on the link in the episode description to this Planet Normal. And if you're not already a Telegraph subscriber, why not? What are you thinking? (laughs) You can sign up for a free month at telegraph.co.uk forward slash normal. So there you can get the full strength. Shanetra Gupta meets Alison Pearson. (laughs) (laughs) It's more like Alison Pearson goes creeping in to meet the Queen of Flu, really. We decided to, didn't we, to give subscribers access to the full interview with her. Apart from anything else, she lowers the blood pressure uh, wonderfully. This sounds odd because you obviously you want your interviewees to be deeply knowledgeable, but she knows so much. You know, it's like an endless fountain of brilliant explication. I love today that we've learned the journey to endemicity, Halligan. I mean, who knew that, that we were on a journey to endemicity? Who knew that was even a word? <laughs> Every time we get her on, we get some new word with at least four or five syllables in it. But look how how fascinating what she's saying there. Natural immunity is our friend. I think Shanetra Gupta shames our political and media class with her knowledge, her compassion and her, you know, even temperedness. She's not panicking. She's just telling us very, very carefully about her subject. And we do go, obviously, we go into more detail. She doesn't want to pick fights with Neil Ferguson anymore. Despite your provocation. Despite my (laughs) provocation. Well, I did my best. But I think she feels that science shouldn't be 
this awful thing. It's de- deteriorated during the pandemic. And she says natural immunity is typically superior to the vaccines. Well, that's it. And what she's talking about now, do you remember when herd immunity, that became a dirty phrase, but that's where we are now. She's basically saying the epidemic is over. The virus is mopping up. There are still people who are vulnerable and we have to be very careful with those. But everyone else can get on with their lives and forget about this nonsense. I think she pretty much put paid to the panic about Omicron, didn't she? It's interesting. There might be something in the air at Oxford because not only is Dr. Shinetra Gupta there, Professor Carl Hennigan's also there, the Professor of Evidence-Based Medicine. It seems to have been the more connected London-based scientists who have been pushing the government for ever closer lockdown, whereas they're among the dreaming spires. (laughs) They take a rather more relaxed approach. Now on to our listener emails, a selection of the fantastic messages you send every week to planetnormal at telegraph.co.uk. Please keep them coming. As co-pilot Halligan keeps pointing out, I base most of my professional career borrowing from your email. So, yes, please don't stop. Don't stop. You'll get found out. I will. I will. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. So this week we've had an awful lot, obviously, about the new variant. This is from Raymond. You know it's coming because the same playbook is being followed. Government introduces initial three-week measures that will only be retained as long as absolutely necessary. Then, following a stream of ever more blood-curdling interventions by SAGE, the NHS and lobbying from trade unions, the government caves and imposes the rest of the restrictions, which then last months longer than they promised. It's predictable and outrageous. And the morons in the House of Commons and the media just let them do it, often acting as cheerleaders or egging them on. The damage this all wreaks on our society, economy and individuals is enormous and long-lasting. And to what end? Not a single variant has amounted to much since the vaccines have taken effect. And David, Liam, is writing to us about something he marvellously calls nomenclature nincompoops. Try saying that after a few beers. Nomenclature nincompoops. Dear Rocket of Reason, the madness on planet Earth never ends, does it? I saw the Telegraph story about new variant being called Omicron, not G, G to avoid offending the Chinese. Never mind that the letters XI is pronounced Chi and the name G spoken as Xi. We puny serfs are too stupid to be told the differences and learn. What next for a subsequent variant? Perhaps avoid using pie to avoid offending the good folks at the Raspberry Pi Foundation and making the millions of users around the world think they have a computer infected with the pie variant. I am truly sick and tired of the whole coronavirus insanity. We need to learn to live with it as we do with all the other related pathogens, such as those that cause the common cold. Otherwise, what next? Close down the country every time someone sneezes. Please, co-pilots, beam me up off this crazy world. Here's one from Ruth. Thank you so much for the work you're doing. Planet Normal's been a shining light in the midst of the most confusing maelstrom I've ever experienced. And I was born in the 1970s in Northern Ireland. Instead of guns and bombs, our beautiful kingdom's being torn apart by so-called health policy. In what world do we sacrifice the youth and their future and the fragile stability of our countries, as is borne out across Europe, for manipulated and misinterpreted statistics? 
Every time I venture out, says Ruth, I'm confronted by babies in prams and fit, healthy young people walking through an early morning park with masks on and fear in their eyes. I'm deeply, deeply sad. I feel like I've not fully breathed fresh air since March 2020. I feel life is being crushed. The image of school buses going past with those doleful eyes begging for release and freedom will be seared on my conscience for a very long time and I fear that those who have inflicted this horror don't even realise what they've done. Thank you for sharing so many interesting people, but one that really stands out, a person I would never have heard of except for Planet Normal, is Luke Murphitt. As a Christian, I know my terror and fear of death is temporary and like Luke, learn to raise my arms each day and praise God, whatever the authorities might do to us. Thanks for your podcast. Best wishes, Ruth. And Ruth was referring, of course, to a Planet Normal stairway just a few weeks ago, an incredible businessman, Luke Murphitt, who, despite Parkinson's disease, has built a very successful and ethical business. Thank you, Ruth, for a wonderful email and for that really powerful evocation of children what children are suffering, as Shanetra Gupta just said to us, save the children. You know, we should be sparing the children, Liam. This is from Sharon. I've lost both my parents in the past five months because of the hysterical response to COVID and the consequences of shutting down just about everything. When I asked the coroner two weeks ago if death by GP telephone appointment could be listed as the cause of death, she said that unfortunately it couldn't, but that my situation was sadly not uncommon. All these people salivating at the thought of more restrictions and lockdowns disgust me. They have no idea of the collateral damage. So sorry about your mum and dad, Sharon. And this is from Bill. I know someone who recently passed away from pancreatic cancer. He detected the early signs in April last year, but due to COVID restrictions, diagnosis was delayed. When the cancer was discovered, it was too late. He was 48 years old with two young daughters. This is one directed at me, Alison, from Charlie. Dear Liam, every single cell in my rather ageing body tells me we're heading for a perfect economic storm next year. A massively bloated public sector that's underperforming. A vast amount of unchecked money printing. Unchecked inflation, with the Bank of England refusing to raise interest rates. A national work ethic that would make Baloo the Bear look industrious. (laughs) An utter complacency across the nation towards the prospect of the doubling of energy costs. There's a spirit of entitlement born out of the Blair years that's endowed people with the belief they can have whatever they want without working for it or indeed having the money to pay for it. If ever there was a moment when anticipated growth is not going to happen, this is it. Oh, and by the way, how much longer can the bull run in the stock market last? We're fixated on ridiculous issues like toppling statues erected 200 years ago or gluing our faces to the M25 in a fit of exaggerated self-indulgent self-righteousness. I do hope I'm wrong, but by this time next year, I think we could be in dire straits. It's beyond belief an apparently conservative administration won't acknowledge that. Sorry, I need to get that off my chest. Looking forward to your next episode. All the best, Charlie. Is it true, Liam, that the... Omicron panic just wiped a a load off the stock market this week. Of course it has. It's also, though, caused oil prices to fall, which may rein in those energy costs sometime soon. Economics is always a game of two halves, Alison. (laughs) Thank God we've got you to explain it to us. I was just listening to that email with fantastic pleasure. We've got very clever listeners. And from Sue, hopefully this new variant will give us nerd immunity. Nerd immunity. Nerd immunity. Boom, boom, boom. 
on that bombshell, that's it from Planet Normal for another week as we leave our sanctuary of sweet reason, our rocket of right thinking, our flying refuge of reasoned views. Email of the week, it's my turn. Oh, it's got to be Ruth. Come on, Northern Ireland. Oi. Oi. <laughs> Why don't we choose Ruth? I think we should have Ruth. <laughs> By the way. God. She wants to do everything. Excellent choice, Mr Bond. (laughs) If you enjoy Planet Normal, and you damn well should with all the effort we put into it, do leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It does really help others to find us. And every Thursday morning, Telegraph subscribers can talk to me on the Telegraph website. Find the article labelled Planet Normal, leave a comment beneath it, and I'll try to reply between 11am and 12 noon. Do keep emailing us. We don't want Alison running out of ideas. And as we speed away from our beloved planet normal, the madness of planet Earth comes back into view. Thanks as ever to our producers, Isabel Bouchard, Louisa Wells, Elliot Lampitz, our editor, Theodora Leloudis. Stay safe and in touch with us and with each other. Until next week, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from him.